7, we are going to go there. I got it too, man. Thanks. <laughs> John chapter 7, we're going to jump into verse 25. Pastor Chad has walked you through the first 24 verses over the last couple of weeks. Uh, one I was here for, one I was uh, up north uh, on vacation, and it was nice. The humidity was not as thick. Uh, we got back home and uh, just felt like it was a wall of moisture. Y'all still good? Let's stand for the reading of God's word. God's word. We're going to mix it up. Y'all are like glazed over. Let's stand as we read John chapter 7. We're going to start in verse 25. If you're using one of the Bibles in the, in the, chur- in the uh, chair backs there, it's on page 893. And we're going to read to verse 39. Uh, this is God's word. It says, Some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, Is this not the man whom they seek to kill? And here he is speaking openly, and they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? But we know where this man comes from, and when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. So um, Jesus proclaimed, as he taught in the temple, you know me and you know where I come from, but I have not come on my own accord. He who sent me is true, and him you do not know. I know him, for I have come from him, and he sent me. So they were seeking to arrest him. But no one laid a hand on him because the hour had not yet come. Yet many of the people believed in him. They said, when the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? The Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him. And the chief priests and the Pharisees sent officers to arrest him. And Jesus said, I will be with you a little longer. And then I'm going to him who sent me. You will seek me and you will not find me. And where I am, you cannot come. The Jews said to one another, where does this man intend to go that we will not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What does he mean by by saying, you will seek me and will not find me, and where I am, you cannot come? On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now, this he said about the Spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given because Jesus had not been glorified. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Y'all can have a seat. And Journey Kids, if you haven't left, you can go. I forgot. It's my bad. You can go. All right. So we are, like, as, just, as I was driving in this morning, I was reflecting on uh, just, man, how, uh, how real the Bible is. I think sometimes we approach it wrongly. And we have it kind of disconnected from our, our, our life. And we think it's this kind of antiquated story that's written in instruction form. You know, like you ever heard the Bible talked about his basic instructions before leaving earth? And you read it and it's like, this is not instructions at all. This is a story. And then there's poems. And then there's more stories. And then there's, then there's like these like just sayings thrown out in Proverbs. And so the Bible is, is this library of books, but it's God's revelation to us. But as you read it, it's really like real. Meaning, here's what I mean. Like, there's a lot of times, like, I don't watch a lot of news, and I don't keep up with current events a ton. And when I do, it makes me scratch my head. Like, what's wrong with, what's wrong with y'all? Like, what's wrong with us? Right? Because people are silly. And they, and like, we're just like, I'm like, why, can, can we just like follow logic? Nobody else? Just me? I'm just saying, sometimes I'm confused. I'm like, I don't know what's ha- happening. Why, like, why are people so doubled down on a thing 
that's clearly just their bias and ideology, and they're going to fight like they just don't want to hear reason. It's just, it's, it's fascinating, and, and it's also, you know, different based on your perspective, your bias, and your story. But, and so sometimes we think the men, the Bible's over here, and like we got to figure out, okay, this is what was going on then. We got to figure out how to apply it here. And we do have to do some context work. We have to figure out how to bridge the context and understand that. But also, man, humanity is humanity. And Ecclesiastes says there's really nothing new under the sun. We just keep repeating the same nonsense with a different flavor and a different struggle and a different context in our time. And so, yes, these are in many ways, unprecedented times in our life and what we see going on with, with, with so many conversations around gender and sexuality and, and politics. And I mean, there's just, there's a lot to take note of for sure. And yet the Bible goes, yeah, I've, we've seen this before. Um, people, humans are humans. And God is a kind and loving, but, but just and wrathful God, and that is the story of the Bible, is how do those two things interact? Consistently hard-headed, frustrating, um, biased, and confused humans with an all-wise, holy, and just God. And, and here, man, in John, we have just the intersection of that very thing. As John has said, the God of the universe, the creator of all, has stepped into our story. And instead of just writing us off as fools, which, frankly, he would be completely just to do, right? Instead of that, he enters in, and he reasons, and he, and he speaks, and he teaches with, with stories. But most of all, he invites. He invites. And that's what we're going to see today is that Jesus is, is dealing with people who are really stuck on their ideologies. They're really stuck on what they thought should be. And, and he's going to talk to them. And he's going to throw some hard truths out there. And he's going to confront. But ultimately, he's going to invite. And ultimately, this is going to be a culmination of, of, of all of these rhythms and routines and, and these, these rituals that these people have been doing um, in the name of, of, of following God. Jesus is going to say, yeah, they've all been about me. So as we enter into uh, verse 25 of chapter 7, this is the context. Jesus has been uh, having these conversations with people who are very confused about what he's doing, why he's doing it. This is, this is coming off of Jesus you know, healing a man who was invalid for 38 years and then feeding the 5,000 and then pulling away and then having these hard conversations. And then it's been kind of quiet for a few months and there's this festival that's going on, the Festival of Tabernacles or of Booths. And it's going on in Jerusalem, and, and Chad walked us through. His brothers are like, hey, you need to go. Like, if you're going to mount a campaign, you need to go where the people are and start talking. She's like, I'm not going to do that. And so he doesn't go in the, in the, in the normal way to kind of be present, but he, he kind of sneaks in later. And so he's in Jerusalem, and they're having these dialogues. They're having these conversations, and he's just walked through this, this tension with the religious leaders where they're trying to pin something on him, uh, you know, that, that, that they could say, yes, yeah, see, this guy's a lawbreaker, and we should kill him. And Jesus is going, really? So you're saying, I can't heal a man on the Sabbath, and yet you guys will circumcise on the Sabbath, and circumcision is important, but don't you think making a man whole and healing him is even more important? So if this one's okay, I think... And so, you know, he, you're not going to win an argument against Jesus, just spoiler alert. He's really good at that. 
And so he's walked them through this, and then there's this, we're going to see just simple reactions from people. You're going to see people that are opposing Jesus because they have issues, because Jesus has issues with how they're living their life, and they don't want to be confronted personally and repent. Instead, they want to double down on what they thought would be, and they want to call Jesus to conform to their ideas, their thought of what the Messiah should be. And so that's what's causing all this tension. Jesus has had this confrontation, but now you're going to see the general public start to process this. And there's not unity, and there's not a consensus, and this is what you're going to see in verse 25. It says, some of the people start to ask some good questions. They go, is this not the man that they seek to kill? Which is a fair question, isn't it? They're just going like, isn't this the guy that they hate and they want dead? People are like, well, yeah. And they're like, well, then here he is, verse 26. This is just real human stuff. He's right here. Like, they want to kill him. He's right there speaking openly. And they're not saying anything to him. Right? These are fair questions. They're starting to see through the nonsense. Don't you wish that more people would see through the nonsense in our day and age? Right? Like, you're starting to ask questions of what's being told, the narratives, starting to ask questions. And so this is what's happening. And they just say, listen, if, if they want to kill him, he's right there. Why aren't they talking to him? But then they go, okay, okay. So maybe it's that the authorities, the end of verse 26, maybe the, the religious leaders actually know that this man is the Christ. Maybe that's why they're not really trying to kill him yet. So that's an idea that they have. Maybe they, maybe they know. Maybe, maybe they're really tracking. But then they go, wait, wait, wait. But we know where this guy came from. He's just from Nazareth. He's from Galilee. Like, that can't be right because they're remembering a passage from Micah. Micah, uh, the prophet, chapter 3, verse 1, where it says that, the, that the, the Messiah will appear suddenly. And so they're going, okay, wait, wait. We know where Jesus is from, so I don't, I don't know. I don't think that can be the Messiah because the Messiah is supposed to appear suddenly. Um, no one will know where he comes from, right? So there's this dilemma they're thinking through, which we're going to unpack a little bit more in depth next week because if they would read on in Micah, uh, it, it, would, it would be unexpected but not, not without a tracing because Micah 5.2 is going to say that the Messiah is actually going to come from Bethlehem. So it's, it's not, you know, again, context is really helpful. <laughs> in fact, it's, it's, it's crucial in, in interpreting the Bible. So they're, they're missing some of that. But they're going to go on. And so now Jesus is going to just come right at that. Jesus hears the murmurings, the grumble. He knows what people are, are talking about. A good communicator, a good persuasive communicator is always going to try to anticipate the audience's resistance. He's going to try to anticipate the, the questions, the struggles, the obstacles that they would have so that he can address them. And so Jesus does that in verse 28. He just, he simply proclaimed as he taught in the temple. So this is not all one exchange. This is, this is during this feast of booths, these questions are being asked, people are having these conversations, and then Jesus would stand up and teach. And he says, yeah, you know me. This is true. You know me, and you know where I'm from. Talking about like his heritage. He grew up in Nazareth. Like, but he goes, but I've not come on my own accord. Jesus is saying, I'm not just somebody who stepped out from the general population and said, you know what? I'll be the Messiah. Nobody else will do it. Don't you wonder 
how the candidates that we have or what we have, like however many million people in this country and the nonsense that's put before us, I'm just like, but again, who's crazy enough to say, I'll do that, I'll be the president. Like, there's a lot going on there. But Jesus is saying, like, listen, I, I didn't come on my own accord. I didn't just say, I'll be the Messiah. He goes, yeah, I'm from Nazareth. Yeah, you know my story, but you're missing the point. If you're just trying to go, wait, 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 can it come from that? Like, then you're missing the point because he, he says, I've not come on my own accord. He who sent me is true, and him you do not know. Have you noticed this theme in these conversations with Jesus? Over and over again, specifically through the book of John, there's this theme where Jesus is confronting people and saying, the reason you're, you're not getting it is because you don't know God. If you knew God, you'd track with my teaching. If you knew God, you'd be following me as Messiah. You don't know him. This is why John has written the whole book of the Gospel of John. Right? We've talked about this. He says, I write these things so that you may believe in Jesus. He wants us to know God, he wants us to know exactly who Jesus is, who sent him, and what he's here to do. And so he says, you don't know him. That's why you're struggling. Verse 29, I know him, for I come from him, and he sent me. Okay, so he's going, yeah, yeah. Before the conversations about whether Jesus should heal on the Sabbath or not, now it's like, where is he from? Like, can the Messiah be from there? This is, this is going to get increasingly offensive for them, and we'll see next week that it really culminates with like, Wait, 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 this, this humble man from Nazareth can't be what you guys are following. We are the ones who have earned the authority. So that's coming next week. But, but right now, it, this, is, this is where we're tracking through. In verse 30, he says, or the, John goes on to say, so they're seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him. So Jesus confronts and says, listen, you know me. Yeah, you know my story, but you don't know the one who sent me. So they want to arrest him, but no one's laying a hand on him. There's this tension. They hate him. They're completely opposed to him, but they know if, if they lay hands on him, it's going to cause a riot. It's going it's, it's, it's to backfire on him. So this is the, the tension that is broiling. This is the tension that will carry on right into the Passion Week, which ultimately ends up with Jesus on the cross. And so track with that tension, but this is what's going. Verse 31, uh, or verse 30. So they're seeking to arrest him, uh, but no one laid a hand on him. Why? Because the hour had not yet come. Okay, so God's sovereignty, his power is, is indirect and almost passive in these stories, but it's not the first time we've seen this. If you track back to the Old Testament, whenever uh, Solomon was trying to kill David, he could never find him, he could never catch him. Why? Because the Lord's hand of protection was over David. And so there will be, there, there's plenty of times where they tried to kill Jesus before Jesus actually died. But there's also meaning behind Jesus saying, no one's taken my life from me. I lay it down freely. And so it's not like they just finally set a good trap and caught him when he ends up on the cross. There is an appointed hour and a time in which Jesus will willingly go to the cross. But that hour is not yet here. And so they're not uh, going to be able to execute that plan until God allows it. Because it's actually God's plan, not simply theirs, because it will be required, it will be necessary for the salvation of man that Jesus ends up on the cross. So he knows exactly where he's headed, but it's not yet that time. So verse 31, 
And yet, many of the people believed in him, and they simply said this, listen, I don't know, I don't know about where he came from, I don't know about this, but seriously, guys, like, there's, this, there's a group of people that I kind of like, they're going like, okay, but honestly, when the Messiah gets here, is he really going to top this guy? Like, for real, have y'all missed what he did? I knew that guy. He was, he was, sick. He was invalid for 38 years. And Jesus just spoke, and, and then we all saw him walk. Like, y'all saw that, right? Like, he, he walked. And then, y'all were there. You ate the food that was just a little guy's lunch, and now we, we had leftovers. Like, y'all were there, right? Like, do we really think the Messiah is going to outdo this guy? This is what they're asking. They're just simply saying, like, I think it's Jesus. <laughs> they're going, if, if I got to choose, I think that guy's the Messiah. I don't see how it gets any better. I like this crowd. I like these people, right? Um, It goes on, though. Verse 32, the Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things, and the chief priest and the Pharisees joined together. This is not two parties that often do business together, but they they are united by their mutual hatred of Jesus, and they put charges out against him to arrest him. So uh, they're gonna make this a bit more formal there in verse 32. Then Jesus said to them, listen, I'm just gonna be with you for a little bit longer. And then... I'm going to him who sent me. So they're worried about where he's from. They're worried about all this. And Jesus is going, you're mounting all these plans because you just have this temporal view of what's happening. Jesus is going, you're missing it. Do what you want. Like, I'm just going to be here a little bit longer, and then I'm going back to the one who sent me. I'm going, I'm I've told you I'm sent by the Father, and you don't know him, and that's what you're struggling with. And you can do whatever you want here on earth and humanly, but I'm telling you, in a short time, I'm going to go back to the one who sent me. Verse 34, you'll seek me, but you won't find me, because where I am, you can't come. Jesus is talking about his ascension. He's going to really tie all of this together in some beautiful ways today. At the end of the the passage where we're going to stop, he's going to start talking about the Holy Spirit coming. And and, and if you, you know, have read the Gospels before, you know that Jesus starts to have a conversation later with his disciples about how it's, it's necessary that he leaves. Because if he doesn't leave, he can't send the helper. But when he leaves, he's going to send the helper. That actually, Jesus coming into the earth is, is not the, the mission complete at that point. The work is finished of salvation, but the kingdom is not yet done. And, and the, the, the season of God dwelling with his people is, is still forthcoming. And so Jesus is talking about his ascension. He's going to die. He's, he's, he's going to die on the cross, but he's coming back in three days. And then he's going to ascend into heaven. And this is what Jesus is talking about. He says, y'all aren't going to be able to go there. But this confuses them. Consistently, Jesus talks about things that people don't, don't track with. So the Jews said to one another, verse 35, uh, where's he going to go? Where's this man intend to go that we won't be able to find him? Is he going to go out into the Greeks and the, the, the dispersion? And so um, if you know the history of Israel, there, there have been um, a, a few times whenever God's people were scattered out of their promised land and into the broader um, you know, regions of other rules of, of the Greek, you know, you got Greeks and Romans and all that stuff in history that you know of. God's people's story exists in and out of that. And, and, um, and so there are God's people that never came back home. They never came back to, um, 
you know, the, the, the kingdom, the, the, the geographic area of Israel. And so some of them are still living amongst the Greeks. And, and so he's saying, is, is that they're going, is, where's he going to go that we can't find it? They're trying to understand things in a purely like material, humanly um, way. And if you're, if you're not tracking yet, you can't follow Jesus and, and, and purely calculate it out from a human perspective. He's inviting us consistently to lift our eyes. To seek first his kingdom. Then the things of earth will be added to us. But we seek his kingdom first, and, and this is what they're not getting. And so they're going, okay, is he going to go out like, you know, to the area and start teaching the Greeks? What does he mean, verse 36, by saying, you'll seek me, but you won't find me? Is he going to become a fugitive? And, and he's saying, like, where I am, you can't come. Like, they don't understand. And here's the thing about Jesus. I think this would frustrate me about him, if I'm being honest, because he does not care to explain himself. He's quite fine with just letting it be. Letting people be like have the wrong idea, think that he's unjust. like he he will say what he wants to say, what he's what he's prompted to say by God the Father and then he and he just lets it be. Cuz if I'm back where Jesus was in that moment where they're going, "Well, we know where he's from and and you know, Nazareth." I'm going, "Hey dummy, read Micah 5:2 and maybe check my birth certificate, which I happen to bring. I'm from Bethlehem, bro." Like, I'd be defending myself. I'd be like, hey, guys, don't be afraid to read a little further. Don't be afraid to question your assumptions. But Jesus doesn't do that. He's, he just, he doesn't talk about Bethlehem. He doesn't bring out his birth certificate. He just goes, yeah, y'all are worried about where I came from, like, my birth story, where I grew up. You need to lift your gaze. I'm from eternity. I am Yahweh. This is what he's displaying for the people, but they're not tracking with it. And so now it comes, verse 37, to the last day of the feast. The feast being this, the feast of tabernacles of booths. And so um, we just uh, participated in a communion, which is a carryover, a transformed meal that was previously the Passover, uh, and Micah said when, when Jesus took that last Passover with his disciples, he transformed it into what we know as, as the Eucharist, as the Lord's Supper, as, as coming to the Lord's table and taking communion. And so we just did that. And, and so we're a little bit more familiar with the Feast of Passover. It was kind of the feast for the Jewish people. Every year they had this, this gathering of the people into Jerusalem and they observed this feast. But a lesser known feast um, and, and that feast of Passover was to, to celebrate and remember how God got them out of Egypt through the sacrificial or through the, the sacrificing of a lamb, so that they the death angel passed over them. It's a, it's a whole story in Exodus. If you're unfamiliar, that's okay. Just know that God rescued His people by killing the firstborn son of every home in Egypt, unless His people did what He commanded and slaughtered a lamb and put the blood over the, the doorpost of their home. And in that case, the, the death angel passed over them. And that was the final straw. That's what allowed God's people to be freed from Egypt. And so that's how God rescued them from slavery. So every year they gather and they, they have this meal and they remember God's salvation from slavery in Egypt. But the, the salvation doesn't end there for God's people. He gets them out of slavery in Egypt, but he doesn't just take them out to the borders of Egypt and go, okay, you guys good? See ya. You're out of Egypt now. 
does he? No, he says, We're, like, I got you out of Egypt to be with you. I got you out of Egypt so that you would be my people and I would be your God. And I have a land for you. I have a, a life for you. And so he continues to walk with them and provide for them. He leads them with uh, these, these, these pillars of, of rock and of cloud and, and fire. Like he, he guides them along the way. He shows up for them. He starts giving them um, you know, manna from heaven. Like Food just starts falling out of the sky. And God's developing this provisional relationship with them, teaching them to be dependent on him because he has a desire to be with them. And so the Feast of the Booths, the Feast is Booths, Tabernacles, is to remember the season when they lived in the desert in tents, tabernacles, in, in booths. Like, like this is a, a season in their life after God rescued them from slavery where he formed them into a people, but he provided for their needs in miraculous, like, non-human ways. And so you see, they're, they're trying to track with what Jesus is saying by understanding things humanly. They're trying to put an equation in. And Jesus is going, this has never been how our relationship has worked. This is God in heaven saying, hey, Israel, remember Egypt. None of you guys went around and killed all of the firstborn in Egypt. I did that. Remember when you got to the Red Sea? None of y'all parted that. I, I did that. Remember whenever you came into the desert and you were hungry? Nobody whipped up bread for hundreds of thousands. I sent you manna from heaven. Remember when you got thirsty, which is the real, one of the real primary stories of the, of the Feast of Booth. Remember, when you got thirsty, Moses wasn't a magician when he struck the, the rock and water flown out. No, it says that God was standing there on, on the rock, that God was the provider of that in Exodus 17. And so what he's saying is, you, you can't keep trying to track and follow me with your human understanding of what is God doing? This doesn't, if I put this and this together, it doesn't equal what I thought he promised. You have to lift your gaze. You have to live by faith. And so on this last day of this Feast of Booths, where they've been going through this ritual, um, and Chad talked about like the high priest, they would go and get these, these, these uh, pools of water and pour them on the altar. And it was this remembrance of, of God providing for them from the rock and, and in the desert. And this is culminating on this last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stands up and makes a, not even a proclamation, the language here. here I want you to hear it. It says, Jesus stood up and cried out. He, he cried out. That, that, that informs the, the, the posture, the, the emotion, the, how this is being communicated. Right? Jesus stands up and he, and he cries out. There's a, there's a, if you think of crying out, there's, there's a longing, there's an angst, there's there's, there's, it's not begging, but man, it's, it's close. And what does Jesus say to these hard-headed, stiff 
stiff-necked, closed-minded, like ideology-driven and just political. Like they just don't get it. They just keep missing it. What does Jesus say to them? Has he had it? Is he done? Does he go off? No, Jesus stands up on this last day of this feast where they've gathered to remember how God would provide for them. He stands up and he says, the end of verse 37, if anyone thirst is crying out, if any of you are thirsty, come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, Jesus says, as the scripture said, they're going to get this incredible gift and out of their heart will flow rivers of, of living water. What is Jesus saying? And who is he saying it to? Does he separate those crowds and say, okay, those of you who were thinking it probably doesn't get any better than me, I like y'all. Come over here. I got some news for you. Those of you who were, who were thinking, yeah, this, this could be the Messiah, I'll let you in too. But the rest of you, we're done. No, he, he declares it to everyone in the midst, the enemies, the, the, the people plotting to kill him. Jesus says the only qualifier he gives is what? Do you thirst? Are you thirsty? Like at a soul level, do you have a longing? Do you know that you have a need that you can't meet? Are you thirsty? If anyone thirsts, if anyone's struggling to know what life is about, if anybody's tired of the other opportunities that you pursued, if, if that's you and you're thirsty, you can come to me and I've got living water for you. You see, Isaiah 55, we use this as a call to worship a lot, but it, it aligns with so much of what Jesus is teaching and calling us to in John, where he says, hey, why do you spend your money for things that aren't truly bread and, and for things that won't satisfy? Come and eat and drink. This is what Jesus is doing, is laying out a feast, laying out a, this, this incredible well of, of satisfaction to come to. My gosh, Siri, nobody invited you into this sermon. But I got a new watch. I haven't turned her off yet. I'm, I apologize. We used to have this problem. I, when I try to get her to do something for me, she doesn't listen. But when I'm preaching, she thinks she needs to be involved. I'm sorry for the distraction because now I don't know what I was saying. But whenever Jesus, like, this is, he, he, he's looking at everyone in the crowd and knowing that their needs are manifesting themselves in different ways. Some, as straight-up opposition to Jesus, they want him dead. Others, just pure curiosity, kind of interested in the show, what might Jesus do next? But universally, Jesus knows there's a need, there's a thirst. And he says, come to me. Come to me. And you can drink. This is what he's been saying in Isaiah 55, like, why are you spending your money on things that won't satisfy? And we think about, we think about drugs and, and popularity and sex, and we like, okay, you can't go to those things. But, but Jesus is actually talking about really practical things like religion and, and, you know, being a good person. He's saying, why are you trying to get eternal life out of something that is purely temporal? Come to me, he says. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, he's trying to tell them, you guys have, have sold the scriptures way too short. You have such a low view of what the Messiah is going to do. You think he's just going to restore Israel into its, you know, kingdom prominence when it comes to 
earthly kingdoms on earth? You think it's just going to overthrow Rome? No, 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 no. You've sold him way too short. Jesus is saying, I'm trying to satisfy your soul, not just your craving for comfort, not just your craving for power, but your soul. And he says, this is the promise of the scripture. Out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. This comes from Jeremiah and Ezekiel where the prophets have been saying, God's going to do something amazing. When he sends the Messiah, it's going to be forever changing because it won't just be about external compliance to the law, but rather an internal transformation. And this is what Jesus is saying. You come to me and you're going to have an indwelling of eternal life that will flow in you like rivers of living water. This idea of living water is prevalent in the scriptures. It, Ezekiel has this incredible image of the temple in the new heavens, new earth, and, and the, the, the river of living water, like, you know, flowing and, and, and building up around and then flowing out to, to, the, to fill the new heavens and new earth with eternal life. And it's this beautiful imagery, and it's all throughout. And Jesus is saying, this starts in the hearts of my believers, not yet now, but this is the promise of what's coming. So it's interesting. He says, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But verse 39, he says, he says this about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not yet been given, but Jesus, because Jesus was not yet glorified. And so Jesus is offering forgiveness of sins. He's offering eternal life. He's saying, come to me and believe. But he's saying there's more to come. For those who have believed in him, haven't, they've been forgiven by the Spirit, but they haven't been indwelt by the Spirit. Again, God's purpose is not just to get us forgiven so that we can be with him in heaven. It's not just to get us forgiven so that he can tolerate us and get rid of our sin. His purpose is to get rid of our sin so that he can be with us, so that he can dwell in the midst of his people. And he's been saying in Ezekiel and Jeremiah, hey, I'm going to take out their heart of stone. I'm going to give them a heart of flesh. The, the law of the Lord will no longer be externally on some tablets, but rather internally on their heart. I'm actually going to do life change, a heart transplant. And, and what that means is the spirit is going to indwell. So it's, it hasn't happened yet because Jesus hasn't yet been glorified. Back to what Jesus said earlier, I got to go, disciples. I'm not going to be here with you physically forever but it's better that I go because if I go, I'm going to send the helper. So he's about to leave and Jesus says, you guys got to stay and wait. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. Stay and wait in Jerusalem. It's awesome. You get into Acts. He's, he's, he's like, y'all got to stay and wait. I'm going to go. Watch this. I'm just going to float up. It's awesome. This ascension. And they're just, it's awesome. It's an awesome scene. But he says, wait. And they do. And we sing about this in King of Kings. And then the Spirit comes. The Spirit came and lit the flame. And there's a group of believers, 120 or so, in this upper room. And the Holy Spirit falls. Why now? Because Jesus has made propitiation for our sins. People can be forgiven. There's, their sin is gone. God can now be with his people. Jesus' work of, of forgiving sinners is now complete. There's no longer any charge that can stand against those who have professed Jesus as Savior. They are cleansed of their sin, and now God comes to dwell in them, and it's awesome. And so the Spirit comes. And this group of ordinary, cowardly, fearful people are transformed. 
and they become the church. And they go and they carry the the gospel mission in incredible ways. They lose their life and the blood of the the martyrs continues to, to fuel the church. And it's awesome. Why? Because Jesus says, this is what's going to come, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. That's the point. So some of you think that Christianity is just about being forgiven of your sins. And be sure, it is not less than that. Amen? It is good news that we who are sinful and are hopeless on our own can find hope and forgiveness in Jesus. Amen. That's enough. If that's all he's given us, we should stand here and praise until he comes back because that is enough. It's awesome. But that's not all that he gives. He says, now that you've been forgiven, I'm going to come. I'm going to set up residence. I'm going to dwell in you. And my presence, my spirit in you is going to be like rivers of living water. First Peter says, because of the generosity of God, we have everything we need for life and godliness. So we're not just rescued out of slavery and then left in the desert. Some of you, that's what Christianity has felt like. You know you're forgiven. You know you're not going to go to hell when you die. You know you've got heaven waiting for you. But right now you feel like God's not really with you. You feel like you're not really sure what this means to follow Jesus. It feels like coming to church is just like kind of paying some life insurance premiums so that you can still claim the whole salvation thing when you get there. And God's saying, Jesus is saying, no, no, you guys have sold it way too short. It's not just about being forgiven and then I'll see you in heaven. It's about right now, I'm with you. And whatever yeah, but follows for you. He says, no, when you're hungry and you're thirsty, Come, and you eat of my flesh, meaning you remember and enjoy the goodness of the gospel, of Jesus giving himself for you. And then you drink of the eternal life, meaning your soul is going to continue to have longing and thirsting. That's not what Jesus said. You'll no longer long or thirst, but you'll no longer be thirsty. Why? Because you have living water. So we take the longings of our souls as Christians. We're... We're no better. We're not on the varsity team as far as the world goes. We have simply found the source of satisfying water. And Jesus says, that's what you do with your longings now. You bring them to me. And that becomes this consistent source of life for you. Some of you, you're not sure how to get quite from where you are to enjoying that. And we'd love to pray with you today. Some of you, you've never accepted Jesus as Savior at all. We'd love to answer your questions and pray with you today. For all of us, let us not forget that our Savior did not die merely to tolerate us, but rather to remove the obstacle of our sin so that his presence could indwell us, transform us, and give us a wellspring of hope and of life, even now. Let's pray. Father God, you're you're good beyond what we can imagine. And as we uh, just sit with these incredible words from Jesus and as we respond in song this morning, may you come and, and, uh, and stir in us in ways that we can't imagine. Stir faith in us to look beyond uh, the physical fleshly world and into what you're inviting us to. 
I pray that you would do that across this room, that you would rewrite stories of brokenness, that you would um, bring hope and life to, to, to people who really didn't, don't think it's possible. Where addiction is dominated, may you come and bring freedom, satisfaction, redemption. Where fear is dominated, may you bring hope. Where guilt is dominated, may you bring forgiveness and a cleansing. Come, Lord Jesus, it's in your name we pray.